Easter's great. What a celebration. The music, my, uh, my wife actually wore a hat. And we, uh, we got up early this morning and did the whole Easter basket thing with the kids. You know, the chocolate rabbits and the colored eggs. I love that Easter stuff. And I, I, you know, I, I think I figured out why we invented the Easter rabbit and why one of the big symbols of Easter has become an Easter egg. I mean, think about the Easter rabbit for a minute. What, what does a rabbit symbolize? Timidity? A scared, trembling, shivering little animal that runs underground and hides at the first sign of controversy? Mark chapter 14, verse 50. Then they all forsook him and fled. The egg comes from a chicken. <laughs> and one young man, when the soldier laid hold of his linen robe, left it behind and fled from them naked. You know, when I think of my relationship with Jesus, it's much more often with pre-risen Jesus than it is with the resurrected Christ. I mean, when, when I pray before my friend, the pre-risen Jesus, I can question my life, my gifts, my talents, question my, I don't know, my, my path that I'm on and my choices. Shake my head at all those people who don't understand us and who get in our way. I have the luxury of guilt, the ability to hide behind the law with the pre-risen Jesus. I hate to admit this, but I actually complain to him. I complain about the injustice in my life and the, the roadblocks that are on my path, how my progress doesn't seem to measure up to my dreams. I mean, I, I can hear Peter's voice crying, let's do some conquering, show the world who we are together. And then when it, when it seems that nothing's happening, I, I hear Thomas's voice saying, are you really who you say you are? Oh, yeah. I am the Easter rabbit. We're talking about being salt and light in the world. And we have one more rudiment of ministry. One more way that we basically need to encourage everyone. And it has very much to do with the resurrection. I want to ask you a question. What are you afraid of? What do you think most people are afraid of? There's always something in life that keeps us captive. And more than any other dynamic, it's a dynamic of fear. 
It's a dynamic of something ending. It's a dynamic of, of failure. And we deal with the prospect of failure in one of two ways. Either we limit the possibility of failure, i.e., we don't try very hard at very many things. If you don't try, then you don't fail. I don't know how many of you gave up something for Lent. Some of you come from that background. Most of my family's Catholic, so I was just kind of in the habit. And uh, every year I give up something to, <clears throat> to mark uh, the total obedience that I want to give God. And, and uh, I'm just so glad it's Easter right now. But there are a lot of, a lot of people who don't. They say, you know, because, they, because they're afraid they won't make it. So they give up watermelon or, you know. <laughs> I was talking with a 20-year-old guy yesterday, young, handsome, virile guy, you know, single guy. I said, what'd you give up for Lent? He's a dedicated Christian. He said, look, I've given up sex for 20 years. I think that's enough. <laughs> now, <clears throat> she's limiting the possibilities of failure. That's, that's not really how you deal with failure because that keeps you twice as trapped as you were before. There's one other way to deal with failure, and that is to realize what God has to do with failure what God can do with failure. We've got to talk about the biggest failure in the history of mankind, the failure to recognize and worship God while he was walking around on this earth, the failure of the Son of God even to live out a normal life here. The scripture I want to talk from this morning is 1 Corinthians 15, and it talks not only about the resurrection but it talks about the implications of the resurrection. First of all, we've got to understand that in every worldly sense, Jesus failed. It says in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 15 that he was buried. You know, we still have that language in our, that, those words in our language. We still use those. We don't trace them back here, but that's exactly how we use them. We say, how's it going at work? And if you're not caught up on what you need to do, as a matter of fact, if you're overwhelmed, if you can't see your way out, you'll say, man, I'm just buried. We say, how badly did they get beat? Man, they got buried. I mean, it's, it's a, it is a language of total defeat, isn't it? He was buried. But then it says that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And listen to this. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. He's writing to the church at Corinth, and this is what he is saying. If you don't believe in the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, ask around and chances are you will find someone who saw it with their own eyes. You know what, I, what I'm coming to understand is that there are a lot of Christians that believe that the resurrection of Christ was just kind of in a spiritual sense or just kind of a nice fable and his spirit lives on but his body doesn't. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible makes no less claim 
that there was an actual physical resurrection. As a matter of fact, it says that is so important. It says later on in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. If all we believe is, is just another religion to make us more moral or more good or make us feel better, then why don't we just believe in comic books? Why don't we believe in, 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 in great stories? You see, Scripture says this is a fact. This happened, and that makes all the difference in the world. Doesn't it make a difference in your life when you actually see something and you realize it's not just a story? I remember years ago, I want to tell you a story about a story. Years ago, 20, probably 20 years ago, um, I was uh, preaching at a church. And, and uh, well, maybe 15 years ago, my kids were small. And we, we went out like once a week to Wendy's because we were poor. And that's where you ate. I mean, you, you, didn't, you never went to a place where you didn't have to unwrap your food. You just, you just <laughs> but it was a special time. And there was a local Wendy's, and we kind of liked this local Wendy's. We, we, we went there, you know, you go often enough, you get to know the, the folks that are there. And there was this old guy there that every week, he, he, he was there when we went there. I mean, he, he probably ate there every night. He, he was always alone, except for he had a dog. He had a dog that stayed in his pickup truck. And the old man went through a routine. Every night he'd come in, and he'd order a sandwich and fries and a Frosty. And then he'd... He'd eat the sandwich, kept looking out at his dog in the truck, and the dog would be out there looking at him, you know, wagging his tail, waiting for him to get back. And he'd eat about half his fries, and he'd eat about, he'd, he'd scoop out about half of his Frosty. And then, he, and then this was his routine. <clears throat> he would scoop out the rest of that, after he'd finished his sandwich, he would scoop out the rest of that Frosty into the little uh, fries dealy there, Stir it around. What do they call it? Cup thing. Stir it around. And then he'd pick it up and he'd take it out to his dog. Because his dog loved Frosty and Fries. Now, one night we were in there and this guy comes in. And you know how sometimes you just get distracted. And he got his regular deal and he was so hungry. And, and he just ate and ate and ate and ate and ate. And then he looked, and he'd eaten all his fries, and he'd drunk all his Frosty. And he looked out the window, and his dog was out there going. <laughs> and you could just see the look of panic on this guy's face. Well, across the restaurant, I mean, we're watching this whole thing. Across the restaurant, there's this big guy, I mean, just moose guy, who has gotten fries and a Frosty and a sandwich. And he, and he eats his sandwich, and he, he, he's about halfway done with his frosty and fries, and he just gets up and he starts toward the door. Now, from the old man's angle, it looked like the guy was leaving. But from our angle, we could see that he was just going back for another sandwich. So we can see that this guy's up at the counter ordering another sandwich. The old man looks out at his dog, looks at this guy's leftover fries and frosty, gets up goes over to this guy's table, picks up his Frosty, just starts scooping it into the fries. Well, by this time, the big guy's got his second sandwich. And he comes around the corner, and he sees this old man with his dinner, 
scooping the fries, stirring his fries. What would you think? Saw an old man stirring your frosty into your fries. Well, he was so totally shocked. He didn't say anything. And the old man just got up and walked it out and gave it to his dog. Well, I told that story in church. And, and uh, I was trying to illustrate some point. I can't even remember what the point was now. But one or two weeks later, there's a guy in our congregation, CEO of a huge corporation, and he was just kind of a skeptical guy. You know, he was one of these Missouri, Missouri guys, you've got to show me things. And, 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 and he came up to me after a sermon, and he said, Hunter, your credibility went up just 100%. He said, now I believe what you were saying. I said, what do you mean? He said, we went to Wendy's and saw the old guy with the frosty and the fries and the dog. Saw it with my own eyes. I said, well, did you think I was kidding? He said, yeah, I know how preachers are. They're always telling stories. They're, they're, they're about half true, but they, you know, they kind of work them here and there just to kind of work the crowd. But he said, I saw the guy, and now I believe you. I want to tell you, it never occurred to me that he would think I was making that up. But it never occurs to me that somebody would think that the Bible is making up the resurrection. It is just as real as the old guy with the fries and the dog. It is more real. Because one guy didn't see him, 500 saw him. And more. This is a fact. It is a fact. It shouldn't be difficult to believe in. Blaise Pascal, one of the brightest philosophers and mathematicians of all time, said, why should it be any more difficult to believe in the resurrection than it is in the creation. Which is harder, to replace a body that you've made or make one in the first place? If you're going to think something is difficult and hard to believe in, believe in the fact that each, or, or, or doubt that the, in the fact that each other's walking around. That's the tough part. The tough part isn't resurrecting them. He's, tr he's right. He's absolutely right. So here's where we start. We start with a fact, watch this, in this world of God bringing back to life physically that which was and then was dead and now is again in this world. Now that has wonderful implications for the next world because as the Bible says, we get brand new bodies. It talks in this, in this chapter, I'm going to let you just read on your own about those brand new bodies. How, how many of you, I love, uh, Orlando asked this question this morning, and I, and I like the question. How many of you would just really like the prospect of a perfect body where you don't have to exercise, you don't have to diet, you just get up every morning, you've got a perfect body? How many, how many of you are ready for that body? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what's in store for you if you have the power of the resurrection in Jesus Christ in your heart. That's what you have to look forward to. But there is something in this world that you need to understand. Because just as you have a warranty, lifelong warranty on this body, and you get, you get to swap it for a brand new model when you die, you also have a warranty on your success. And I don't mean success in worldly terms, because we have a lot of failure in worldly terms. To live is to fail. 
You understand that? Everybody fails. Everybody is embarrassed. Everybody is ashamed. Everybody lives with a, a limit, limited world. But this is the news. God works exactly through those limitations. And He works in ways that are so wonderful that we never would have seen them without the failure. We never would have known about the resurrection had Jesus not have died for us. Never would have known. And there are many things in your life you will never know until you fail. Many wonders of God, many powers of God you'll never realize until you fail. It says in this great chapter, verse 22, For as in Adam all die. We're all in Adam. We all die. So also in Christ all shall be made alive. It says in verse 49, just as we have borne the earth, the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. It's important to understand that while none of us ever try to fail and none of us ever enjoy failure, failure is a pain, failure is, is gruesome, it's, it, 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 it's grieving, grievance unto us, the biblical phrase. But look at what God does afterwards. I was reading a story um, uh, several months ago. True story. Virginia Johnson wrote this. Uh, this happened years and years ago. They had a son, Ronnie. Virginia and her husband did. Wonderful little boy. And the boy was just so close to his parents, so close especially to his dad. As a matter of fact, when the, when the boy was 14 years old, the dad had a, a, two rings made just alike. They were named after one another, so they had the same initials in both ranks. And they, and they put them on their hand, kind of a father-son bonding thing, you know. And they put them on their hand, and they wore the same ring. Now, this boy grew up, and he was a wonderful kid, wonderful athlete. As a matter of fact, he was such a great athlete, he won a, a football scholarship to Wichita State. One night, they got a call. Some of you remember this that the entire football team of, the Wichita State, of Wichita State had been on a plane that crashed into a Colorado mountain, and all of them were killed. Some of you remember that. The name of the mountain was Mount Trelease. Well, they were devastated. Of course they would be devastated. But they did get the remains of the sun, but they couldn't find the ring. And there was just something in that, that that the mother just would have been so much more at peace if she just could have found that ring. For 10 years, she tried with some success to get over the loss of her son, as did the husband. It was very difficult for him. He had to take off his ring. He couldn't wear it. One night, she got a call with an unknown female's voice on the other end. And, and the, the voice was halting. And it said, she said, I don't know how to tell you this. And the, the mother's heart, mother's hearts are instinctive. She knew immediately it was about her son. The voice said, I have something for you. Again, intuitively, 
she knew, she said, it's the ring, isn't it? And the voice says, yeah. She said, how did you get it? And the voice on the other end said, I don't know how to tell you this. My husband is a pilot. He's, a, he's an avionics kind of nut. And, and one of the things that he, he loves to do is he loves to go to explore plane crash sites to see if he can put together the mystery of why and maybe discover some of the things that the, the FAA couldn't. And so we were going on a vacation in this area of Colorado, and, and he had remembered that this plane had crashed, and so we went to stay in a motel near there. And in the middle of the night, I woke up, and I saw a vision of a young blonde boy. The mother's heart just almost stopped because Ronnie was blonde. And the blonde boy just looked at me, smiling, and then turned and started to walk away as if I should follow him. She said, that scared me so badly that I made my husband take me to a different motel. And when we got to the different motel, the same thing happened. The next morning, we employed a guide to take us up the mountain to the site of the plane crash. Only I wasn't going to go. I'm not into that. He is. I took along a book to read while they went up. But they got about 75 feet away from me, and I just felt compelled to go with them. So I climbed the mountain with them, and when we got almost to the, to the crash site, I just had to stop for a minute. I sat down on a rock, and I, and I looked, and there was something gleaming in the sand, and I picked it up, and it was a ring. She said, I was so taken with all of the events that I decided to go to the local news and ask them to pull out films in the file of that day, of that crash, and when they were going through the pictures of the victims, I saw the boy in my vision. It was Ronnie. And that's how I got your address. And she brought her the ring. You know, it must have been absolutely horrible for that mother to lose that son. But through that loss, she understood that the afterlife is there. She understood that people still care. She understood that there still is a wonderful life to look forward to. And she never would have had that without that failure. We don't try for failure, but there's good things that come from it. And here's why. Because God is so specific in His love for us. You understand, this isn't just a... a, a, a well, okay, everybody's going to die and kind of everybody's going to live forever and it's all going to be happy. I see so much of that stuff. That, that stuff, there's no, there's no evidence for that. There's evidence for this. There's evidence for this. There's evidence that God loved us so specifically and that just as through our limitations and our failure, we can see the goodness of God through His limitations and His failure he stays faithful. It's not just in believing religion in general. There is something here that's different. You look for the bones of the prophets of every other religious founder in this world, and you'll find them if you can find their grave. You find Jesus' graves, you won't find bones. They're gone. There is something different here.
There is something unique here. Now, I know around Easter time, everybody else gets a little huffy thinking, oh, how arrogant for, for Christians to think they have the truth and nobody else does. Well, there's truth in other religions. Whatever matches up to Christianity is true. But there's something more than that. I saw, I, I went to the beach this week for a prayer and planning retreat. I tell you, when, when God wanted to set Jesus free, he rolled away the stones. When he wants to set me free, he rolls in the waves. There's just something about water. And so I, ha- I, I had to get a piece of our, our future that I, didn't, I couldn't quite, so I went over. And I was coming down out of, the, out of the place where I was staying, and I saw a car. And the car had a bumper sticker. I like bumper stickers. I like to read them. And this was the bumper sticker of the car. God is too big to fit into any one religion. Now, for a moment, there's something in me that likes that. Because God is big. And, and, and of course, no one religion can ever fully fathom God. Of course not. But think about that for a minute. Think about that. Because without specificity, there is no intimacy. Think of this for a minute. Men, are you, have you got like too much love to give to any one woman? <laughs> to just to limit yourself to any one woman? Now, if you're sitting by your wife, you better watch your head right now. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Without limitation, without focus, without specificity, there's no intimacy. There is no faithfulness. There is no, no um, security. What would you think of a parent who said, you know, I love every kid in the world just the same. Don't you love your own kids a little bit more? Nope. Every kid in the world just the same. Would you think that was a little odd? That would be a little odd. Why? Because without focus, without limitation, without specificity, there is no intimacy. And so God says, I'm going to, I'm going to specify who I want to have a relationship with. And we need to say, I specify Jesus Christ. That's, that's who I see as God. Now, when we do that, and when we say, that's my relation, something happens in life, and this is it. You've got to understand, you're carrying around the power of the resurrection in your heart. And when you fail, you get raised up again. It is so important to understand that the resurrection is a personal thing. Very personal. Very practical, very specific. Delmar said, you know, a little kindness person to person is better than a vast love for all mankind. I like that. A little kindness person to person is better than a vast love for all mankind. When God comes into your heart in a personal way, then your failure becomes his opportunity for resurrection. The Bible says, my, God says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's important to understand this. Perseverance in this life is not one long race. 
I know some of you are tired. And some of you are saying, you know, I don't know if I can go on like this. Because you got in your head that perseverance is never stopping. That's not perseverance. <laughs> perseverance is many short races, one right after another. Perseverance is every time you fall down or every time you sit down, you get up again. And resurrection is getting up one more time than you've sat down. Resurrection is getting up one more time than you've been laid down. Resurrection is getting up one more time than you've been buried. That's what resurrection is. We will fail all our lives, but the power of God living in us says this. I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to raise you up. Expected you would fail. As a matter of fact, it was in my overall plan that you probably would, but I'm going to raise you up because I want to show you my power. Yesterday, I did the funeral of a, of a man. That I, I did his wife's funeral about six and a half years ago. This was a wonderful family, Italian family. They owned uh, for, a, for a long time... Uh, two flights up, uh, the restaurant in Winter Park, the Italian restaurant, remember that? And, uh, and more, more people went there, I think, for the hugs than for the food, although the food was great. But they were just a loving family. They, they just, they adopted everybody they met. Every, they were everybody's mom and dad. And this was the most wonderful funeral because they kept talking about this guy, not just about his love, but about his encouragement. All his life he wanted to be a coach, apparently. You know how God just kind of leads you into other things, and he got into restaurant business. But all his life, he kept telling people this. Don't be afraid of failure. Don't be afraid. You know, when you fail, it just means you've been trying. That's a good thing. You keep on. You keep on. And person after person said, that's what was valuable to me. He just encouraged me all the way. I want to tell you something before I sit down. Jesus says to you, I don't care where you failed. I can raise you up. I can raise you up. And I never want you to be afraid of failure again. Why do you think those shirts, no fear, caught on so big? No fear. Because people would love to live with no fear. But the only people that can do it are the people that believe in the power of the resurrection and the people that walk around with that power inside their chest. I'm going to pray for us right now. And I'm going to do two things. I'm going to thank God for making that power available in Jesus Christ. And I'm also going to assume that there may be somebody in here tonight that does not have that specific relationship with God, does not have Jesus Christ living in their heart because they never invited him in. And I want you tonight, as I pray this prayer, as I say, and I'm going to say, I'm going to pray what, what's called the sinner's prayer in the midst of this prayer. And if you want that for your life, I want you to pray it, just whisper it, as I pray it for your life. Pray with me now. God, thank you. Thank you that we really can live without fear of failure. Doesn't mean we can live without failure. We can just live without fear because we know that there's a warranty not only on our physical life, but on the rest of our life as well. And you'll bring us back. Father, thank you for that 
that confidence. And Lord, if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't have the resurrected one and his power living in their lives, but they want him, Lord, let them pray these words after me right now. Lord, I have sinned, and my sin has come in between me and you. But I don't want to live like that anymore. I know that your death on the cross paid for my sins. Paid for them so that I don't have to suffer the consequences of them. Your death on the cross also had enough power to take away my sinfulness even now. And so I want you to do that. I accept that gift that I could never earn for myself. And I ask you, Jesus, to come and live in my heart and make of my life whatever you want. And whenever I stumble, get me back up to walk with you. I pray this in Jesus' name.